Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. From the Big Ten Network, Mike DeCourcy joins us. You know, IU, I was impressed, Mike, with the way that IU got back in it last night. But it is, even with Chase Jackson Davis, and he was literally down the stretch unstoppable, it takes them so long. They dig any kind of a double-figure hole, they're in trouble because of their lack of three-point prowess. Just tough. Well, part of the lack of the three-point prowess is they're not working hard enough to get Miller top shots. I mean, that, it's really that simple. Uh, he did get four last night, and he wasn't particularly accurate in this particular game, but... I mean, we're talking about somebody who shoots 44-7 from three and is not getting shots, not getting three-pointers. He's uh, over the course of the last bunch of games. And now it's worked for them uh, for the most part in that stretch. But I still think that there's – it feels like it's an asset that's not being tapped, especially in games like this where they're, they're trapping the post. I think the ball could move faster and eventually find Miller more open than than what's been happening. I will tell you this. It it takes them to a different level if somebody, anybody – could provide that and we've seen it we've seen it in Bloomington right and just not seen it on the road if anybody could provide that at any moment with any level of consistency that makes this team offensively a hell of a lot different oh absolutely because you Northwestern's going to trap the post whether you can shoot it or not they're just going to try to trap it in a way that it's really hard for you to to get the ball to dangerous positions but other teams that double the post, if, if when they do that, that most of them aren't going to be as good at it as Northwestern is. That's like their fastball. That's their number one pitch in, in some ways. That's what makes them good. And so other teams try to double the post. They're not as good at it. They don't, they're not as effective. They're not as surprising. And so you can get the ball out to, to dangerous positions. And, and Trace is one of the best passing big men in the country. And so if those spots are open and they're filled by guys who are dangerous, then at that point they are, they are that much more productive on offense. But they haven't been successful at getting Cop or, or, or Tamar Bates into positions where they can be effective. And I think that's the one thing about this team. You look at teams that have weaknesses, it's one thing. But it's another to have maybe the, the components to – impact those weaknesses on your roster and not really be taking full advantage of them. You know, and part of it to me, and while I agree with what you're saying there, I I think the other side of it is too, there are times when these guys get open looks where the defenses don't look like they take it seriously anyway. Truly. Well, I mean, if you, I I think that Northwestern understood that, that, you know, Miller Cop is a capable shooter. I gave you the number before. I mean, anybody in the country would want somebody like that on on their perimeter and they're playing Miller a lot. It's not like they're just sitting him on the bench. That's, I mean, if, if they if they looked at Miller and I think over the last month month and a half he's he's done a really good job of becoming valuable in the absence of significant shot attempts. I, I think he's done a great job with hustle plays, with leadership, even on defense, which was never a strength when he was at Northwestern. 
And so if they looked at that asset as now that he's on the floor, let's take advantage of this. I just think that's one place where this team, again, if, if they didn't have a guy like that, they'd wish they did. And now they do, but they don't take advantage fully. You guys are all over it on the Big Ten Network, and rightly so. Um, doesn't seem like that the uh, national attention is there for Northwestern yet. And, and I guess uh, I'm an older dude, and you know, remember Northwestern to when they would be dominant in the Quiz Bowl, but certainly not in basketball uh, back in the 1980s or any time. For example, how big of a story is what we're seeing with Chris Collins's team unfold before us this year? I was joking with someone on the po- on a podcast today that if Syracuse were having this sort of, quote, miraculous season where you get picked 14th and instead you're second or 13th, second from the bottom, and instead you're second from the top, that all the Syracuse people that are in the, in the broadcast media would not shut up about it. But it, here you have Northwestern, which has one of the great journalism schools in the country and print guys all over the place, and they're not writing about it. I mean, this is a great story, and you're almost hearing nothing about it. Uh, Chris Collins as a national coach of the year candidate. Why is this not, name not coming up in that conversation more often? When you talk about what I said, second from the bottom predicted and with good reason, because they lost two regulars last year after last year's te- seasons was over. One of them went to Duke and one of them went to Carolina and those guys are gone. Okay. We're much better now. I mean, now how, if you can make that happen, you are doing an unbelievable job as a head coach and, Uh, I think Chris Collins, uh, who came into the season, you want to talk about getting uh, a really rough, having a really rough summer. Anytime somebody wrote an article about college basketball and the quote hot seat, his name was way near the top of those. And it it wasn't just because it was alphabetical. Uh, He had a really difficult job ahead of him, and he's done it beautifully. Mike DeCourcy of Big Ten Networks with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I want to double back to IU for a moment too. Where are they right now? I know you do, um, you know the uh, you, you kind of size up the uh, brackets uh, for Big Ten Network. Where, where do you have IU locked in right now? And you know, let's just say they, they catch a little bit more because the one thing about this team, Mike, that I have gathered certainly better than we have seen in a while is th- these guys will learn uh, and move on. They they have I think taken mistakes and made it better for some of those mistakes given where they are right now. But where are they now? Where do you think they will be at the end of this year going into March in the tournament here? Well, their next three games will say a lot about that, or next four if you want to throw the fourth in. Uh, Illinois at home, at Michigan State and Purdue, and then Iowa at home. Even Michigan to finish is a a challenging game, but uh, a, a significant NCAA tournament team should be able to deal with this Michigan team at home at, at this stage. And they played not well on Saturday night, and partly because race wasn't available to them. Race Thompson wasn't available. So they didn't play great, and they still were able to get the win. So that shouldn't be a, a terribly difficult game for a team that has high-level aspiration. But these next four, uh, they're all really challenging. And they're the kinds of, at least the home games against Illinois and Iowa, are the kinds of games the teams that want to be seated three, four, five. Uh, those, those are games you win. And then whether you can win at Michigan State or at Purdue, I mean, those are really difficult, uh, difficult environments, difficult teams. Obviously, there's a variance in the, in the degree of difficulty there, but they're both very good. If they could go three and one through this stretch, I think they challenge again for a top four seed. Uh, if they if they go two and two 
I think they hold themselves in the in the ballpark of a five or a six. Mike DeCourcy joins us. A big one for night for Purdue, or two night, I should say, for Purdue coming off that loss to Northwestern on Sunday. An early start against Maryland, and, and Maryland has been really sneaky, not sneaky good at home. They've just been really good at home, but sneaky good throughout the course of their schedule to this point in the Big Ten. What are you looking for from this Boilermaker team bounce back wise after what took place in Evanston Sunday? Yeah, I think the first thing is that they have to handle the basketball better, which they did not do well. They did not make great decisions. In a game, they didn't play that badly for the first 36 minutes. They were playing reasonably well, not elite at the level that they can do, but they were playing reasonably well. They had control of the game. They were up eight-ish. They were fine. And then when Northwestern started to squeeze the game a little bit, turn up the pressure, Purdue did not react well. So they're, they're probably going to see some of that because Maryland likes to play aggressive defense anyway. And so they're probably going to see some of that one way or the other tonight, and they're going to have to handle it better. And then the second thing that may, you know, it's probably going to come up sooner is how do they guard Jameer Young, uh, Maryland's terrific guard, who's averaging uh, about nearly 20 points over the last 10 games or so. Uh, he's become a really dangerous offensive player for them. And, there's not a natural matchup for Purdue in that. Jameer's a little smaller than most of the players that Ethan Morton is really effective against. Usually bigger wings that he can match with size and strength and, and, and attention and make it difficult. Jameer's smaller, quicker. So do they go with that or do they try to just match him straight up with Braden Smith? Uh, I'll be very curious to see how they guard Jameer Young and how effectively they do whoever's in the matchup is going to play a big role in, in whether or not they can leave uh, Maryland with a victory. Mike DeCourcy from the Big Ten Networks on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline with us. So, obviously so. I've received a lot of, well, this is the type of whistle that Zach Eady isn't getting right now. This is how he's being guarded. It should be a whistle. I, I, I got it from last night. You know, Boo Booey goes in and uh, creates space for that game winner against Trey Galloway. You find issues in with these two teams certainly you find issues with some of these games the way they're being officiated especially down the stretch Mike at all well I will say that I, you know I did think that that was you know it's what's ironic about that in some ways is that Trey Galloway didn't flop or didn't fall and if he'd gone down there's a chance he might have gotten that call I, I think too much of that call in the way it's adjudicated is in what the defensive players reaction is rather than what the what the force applied was that was a case where there was significant force applied. Lots of times they call charges when there's almost none. I've seen, I literally have seen charges called this season when there was none, when guys pretended to get contacted and didn't. And so that if, if Trey had gone down, he might have gotten the call, which is the problem with that is it encourages guys to fall and it encourages the theatrics. And instead of acknowledging you know, Trey was in that play and then he wasn't, you know, what happened there? I mean, it wasn't that he didn't put on a fake, so it couldn't have been that good of a fake. He just kept driving until there was no defender. So I, I thought that was not a great decision, but I, I don't know what Purdue fans are saying, but I think for the most part, and Sunday might've been somewhat uh, toward the end might've been somewhat of a, uh, some uh, departure, but I think Zach's been getting a great whistle, a fair whistle. I, I a year ago in, in the second round of the, of the tournament when they played Texas, I thought he got a fair whistle, which is why like seven guys from Texas filed out. 
but then they went played St. Peter's, and St. Peter's was allowed to do whatever they wanted. Uh, and that w- and that was a big part of why he wasn't able to be effective, which is a big part of why they weren't able to win. There were other reasons, obviously, but that was an element. And so I think if he gets called now, uh, tonight, and through the NCAA tournament, through the Big Ten tournament, the way he has most of this year, that's why he's a- been able to be the-, the best player in the country, because he's been treated reasonably. You can't hang on his arms. It's not fair just because he's 7'4", doesn't mean you can do whatever you want to him. It has to be fair. It has been for the most part. Yeah, I, I think that there's just that concern. You know what I mean? It, it's it's like a preemptive strike, if you will, because yeah. it, it's not just about Mike in the now. It's about, all right, so how's this whistle going to go in March? How's it going to go in, you know, in the NCAA tournament? I, I think that's probably even more of a concern for Boilermaker fans than the whistle he's getting right now. But, but you can't predict. There's no doubt. It's impossible. No doubt. It's like, you know, is, is, uh, is our best shooter going to have his touch tonight? Well, who knows until the ball starts going in. You know, there, there are 45.7% three-point shooters who will go out and have a one for six some nights. And you have to work around that. Now, I realize that it's really hard for them to work around Zach not being able to play. And I, when I say that, I mean – being able to play effectively. And if opponents are allowed to hang on him, uh, then, then he, can't, he can't be effective at the level that he's been. So I understand that's a concern, but there's no way to measure that or mitigate it uh, because it, it, you know, the, it's the NCAA tournament, and the one thing you can say is everybody that's in that game wants to be in the next game, and that's not just the coaches and not just the players, but also the officials. So you hope that they are incentivized to do the best possible and, and fairest possible job. He is Mike DeCourcy of Big Ten Network. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Is 1-2 Zach Eady and Trace Jackson Davis in the Big Ten the way you look at the National Player of the Year landscape right now, too? Yeah, I, 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 I look at it this way. I think Zach is one. And then I don't think there's a real number two in the national player of the year race. I'd been having some conversations with people about the idea that I thought before last night, and maybe still going forward, there's still five games left, uh, that that they could be split. Because I, I have a very strong belief that Big Ten player of the year is Big Ten player of the year, not uh, we played Kennesaw player of the year or we played Alabama player of the year that those don't matter to me in voting for big 10 player of the year. It's just what you did when, when you started playing Penn state and Northwestern, et cetera. And so I, I think trace gave up too much ground in the first two months to six weeks of the season for him to catch Zach and let Zach completely collapse. And he started scoring one point a game or something. Uh, not going to happen. He's a great player. So I don't think he could catch him in a national player of the year race. He's making a heck of an effort, but I don't think he can. But Big Ten Player of the Year for me, he still has five games. Last night wasn't his best, but he's had some unbelievable – and even even at that, he still still went for 20 and 10 and eight assists. So I guess the, the, the big thing was that he didn't win. But it, it, he's, he's doing a phenomenal job, and he is very much alive for me in Big Ten Player of the Year. I hope that more people will judge it that way, whether they judge it for Zach – or Trace, or anybody else, I hope that more players will, more, more voters will take that approach because I think it's the way it should be. 
Mike, I talk to Don Fisher every Friday, and we we go back and obviously talking about Trace Jackson Davis, South Sider. We're South Siders, and he he is showing me not just on the basketball floor, but he is he's showing me us a, a level of leadership verbal leadership on the floor during the game stuff that has evolved from a spot where I never thought we would see it. And like last night after the game, when he said, Hey, listen, um, put it on me because it was the first half when I was not existent, they count on me to be there at all times. And I wasn't. And that's ultimately what paraphrasing here cost us the game. That is a level of leadership along with what you see on the floor. And and that evolution of him as a, a full basketball player has been incredibly noticeable, especially this year you the same as far as what you have seen vocally leadership wise from trace yeah i i will say i'm not surprised because i had a conversation with him a nice chat up in minneapolis uh, at the big 10 media day and i mentioned to him i noted that he will almost certainly now finish top three in points rebounds and blocks and look kent benson isn't there Alan Henderson isn't there. Calvert Chaney isn't there. They're all in those categories at some point, but top three in all three of those categories, by the end of this season, Trace Jackson Davis will be the only person that can say that. But he also is the only person of all those names I mentioned and many, many more that can say that his participation in the NCAA tournament has been limited to one first four victory and then getting blown out in the first round, and that's it. And he very much doesn't want that to be his legacy. He doesn't want to be this guy whose name is in the stat book, but doesn't have any banners or anything close to that hanging. So he's once he got himself physically right this year, then he could turn his attention to making sure that all of his teammates understand what the stakes are, how, what, what they're capable of if they play their best and, and making sure that they're as close to their best every night as possible. And I think he's done a phenomenal job with that over the last six weeks. All right. Uh, besides the the game tonight and recapping the game from last night, give me some games in the weekend that certainly you're going to be hard targeting of games of interest as we approach the the final stretch of this Big Ten regular season, Mike. Yeah, well, I think uh, that uh, one of the games that I would focus on for sure uh, would be Saturday night – excuse me, Sunday night, uh, uh, the Big Ten Network – We'll have on our air at uh, 6.30 Eastern time. We will have, for your pleasure, the uh, Northwestern Wildcats and the Iowa Hawkeyes. And uh, I think that's a really significant game for both teams. They're both fighting to try to figure out where they'll be seated in the NCAA tournament as well as Northwestern. I don't think Northwestern is sitting there thinking, you know, we could win the Big Ten. I think that they're trying to finish as high as they can it would be really an achievement for them to, to get a double buy in the Big Ten. I don't think even their 2017 NCAA tournament team did that. Uh, so that would be really something, uh, something of an achievement for them. And it also uh, helps secure uh, their future in the tournament. So, uh, and then Iowa, the best offensive team in the league, going up against a team that defends as well as Northwestern, I think that's really going to be an interesting and entertaining game. And and I'm very much excited to be helping to broadcast it. All right. uh, Mike DeCourcy of the Big Ten Network, going to be a part of it. You can find him. Now, when are you on there next? Uh, You said you're on Sunday. Uh, When are you on next? Yeah, Sunday night. Sunday Sunday night we'll we'll be on uh, halftime of that game, and then we'll do Big Ten basketball and beyond. And every Friday uh, from from my house here in Fishers, I do – 
Uh, I do an hour uh, with Dave Revson on Big Ten basketball and beyond. There's usually one other analyst present. They rotate that. It's been it's been uh, uh, Andy Katz at sometimes, Trent Meacham at sometimes. My partner on Beyond, Rafael Davis, has been there. So every week uh, we talk uh, hoops uh, almost for an hour straight. Uh, we also talk about women's hoops, wrestling, hockey uh, as well. But uh, a big part of that is the men's hoops. And so that's been a lot of fun to do with Dave every week. Well, let me tell you this. Um, watching the IU women's team, second-ranked Hoosiers, and we've talked to Sidney Parrish here, Mackenzie Holmes here, Grace Berger on this show. Watching them work, they get Michigan tonight, another top 25 matchup, the, I think, third of three consecutively during this regular season. What an absolute joy to watch that. Oh, absolutely. It, it, the, the Big Ten's women season this year has been phenomenal with Kaitlin Clark at Iowa, with a complete turnaround at Illinois, uh, with as good as Michigan continues to be in Maryland. Uh, it's a great competition. Uh, and, of course, IU leads everybody in that uh, projected number one seed at this point. Uh, April Johnson does brackets for us uh, at BTN, and she has IU as a one seed. It, it, it's a, It's been a thrilling uh, season, and very soon they'll join us here in Indy for a yep. fantastic uh, championship tournament. Uh, really, really looking forward to that. Well done. And once again, Mike mentioned he lives in Fishers, which would also outline why nobody besides me lives on the south side. Well done right there. <laughs> I'm the only one. The only I one. Doyle's down there with you. I'm not sure. I think he's. Uh, yeah, he is. He's somewhere in Greenwood. I think he kind of moves around. I don't know if he stays in. Yeah, I guess he does stay in one place more than <laughs> more than a week. But it seems like he moves around anyway. Hey, by the way, thanks for coming on here. I appreciate that. We'll be watching this weekend, Mike. Thank you. Mike Chappell, CBS 4 and Fox 59, is joining us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. How you doing, Mike? Good. How are you? So, Jim Bob Cooter could reemerge back in Indy again. That's a hell of a homecoming. What was it, like 18 or 19 he was there? Was that what it was? Or? I thought it was like, oh, eight, uh, like Maybe what, I mean, uh, yeah, 12 or something, yeah. Right. Because I think, yeah, because I thought he was here with, with Peyton for a little bit. Jim Bob Cooter. Yeah. Yeah, and those names you don't forget. He said, yeah, yeah, I just don't know when he was here, but he was here. Now, there's so many, re- well, you can just take it a variety of ways. Jim Bob, the Waltons, Cooter, Dukes of Hazard, Cooter, other things, Jim Bob, Southern Indiana. I mean, it's, it is just endless, the things you can talk about with that name. Yeah, I, that's one you had, I'd go back to my folks and say, and you were thinking a lot when you named me Jim Bob. You know, James Robert. Was it James Robert and his Jim Bob? Or did you know? I'll be honest with you. When you're born with the last name Cooter, it really doesn't matter what the hell they name you. You're already got two strikes against. That's true. Hey, I'm Cooter. Anything they do, anything they do, it's not going to work. I've come across two or three names like that in my career. Even at Anderson, there were some people up in lapel, and it just didn't. Yeah, it's you know, thanks, Dad, but. No thanks. Hey, I did. You, you, you can't disguise that last name at all. You're right. Yeah, I, I did want to ask you this because you, you've been so long up at Anderson and, and covering the high school level, and you brought this up via Twitter after Northwestern upset Purdue on Sunday. Is it weird for you to watch Brooks Barnheiser play for Northwestern, considering that you used to watch his dad play? And, and Mark is a tremendous friend of mine, who is still now the head coach at Lafayette Jeff. And I know that Brooks only had two points last night, but he has been significant. He had 19 against Ohio State last week, significant in what this Northwestern team has turned into, and it's really cool to see. 
I tell you, in my years in Anderson, it was like the golden age of basketball. We had Indiana All-Stars with Ray, you know, Mr. Basketball, with Ray Talbert, Rick Lance, and all these guys at Anderson. And and, and the counties were great with, with LaPel and Franklin and, and people. And Barnheiser, could, he, he could simply shoot. He, he could shoot. Uh, but, yeah, and then you see their, their kids playing. It first hit me how oh, it's been probably eight or ten years ago when, when Blackman, when James Blackman was coming yeah. through Marion and scored like 56 or 58 to break his dad's record. Well, I was there when his dad set the record uh, against Anderson, like in a semi-state or something back whatever whatever year that would have been. So in, in all the teagues that are running around, I, I, I covered his dad, Sean, at Anderson. So it's just crazy that, that you know, I guess if you live long enough, that stuff starts happening. But, again, I, whenever I see that, I, I, I still see Mark Barnheiser raising up and, and shooting. Uh, too bad they didn't have threes back oh, yeah. there. And, yeah. and he probably had maybe five assists. For his career, because, you know, <laughs> he's a shooter. Well, yeah, like like all those guys, they're shooters. Yeah. And why would I give it to you when I know I can hit this There's, shot? No doubt, that's that was his philosophy too. And he he has he has been one of over his career the best coaches in the state of Indiana. I mean, he, he I simply know, I and I, I've seen still it firsthand. Lafayette, What's that? I didn't I didn't know he was still at Lafayette, Jeff. Yep, he's still there. He Go, is still there. Uh, Braxton, his his uh, first son plays at Trinity. I believe is that uh, D two and I forget what that is, but Braxton, a great kid. Actually, Brooks and Braxton are tremendous, and Braxton is still playing, and Brooks plays at Northwestern, and Mark is still coaching, and uh, he's he's one of the and I, I've seen it again firsthand. One of the best coaches to ever coach in this state, and regardless of what. Well, you know what about you know the titles or what about this? Now, nah, and he has been everywhere from my high school at Eastern Green to Westfield. Um, to Elkhart Memorial, to Lafayette, Jeff. Um, he was coaching down in Alabama for a number of years. He, he just has been one of the elite level coaches, and still is. What limited him getting, uh, I, I guess, winning titles and all that at Lapel is that's back when they were was it was one class. So 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 they I don't care how good Lapel is, and they were always good with. People are from Anderson that know Dally Hunter was the head coach. Dallas Hunter, he was a great guy. There's so many personalities, but they fit into Anderson. And I don't care how good Daleville or Franklin or Pendleton Heights or somebody was, they've got to go to the Whitgum and play, you know, the big guys. Yeah. And it just it was just hard. It was hard. But that's why I, I still say one class basketball was people who who haven't experienced it don't know what it was. Because it was great, and when it, when a small school upset a Richmond or an Anderson, Madison Heights or Highland, or a Marion or Muncie Central, it, it made their, it, it made everything. So, but but I, I I kind of understand why they've done what they did, but nothing will replace the one class and what those guys, the Barnheisers and all those guys had, had to fight against 
when they were playing in high school. And believe me, too, um, it's not with Mark James, but Perry Meridian had been one of the softest places in the world, and he got there and and turned that thing around, too, on Indy Southside. He's, he's just been right. he'd been great. I believe twice he got to the semi-state, once with Elkhart Memorial and once with Lafayette Jeff. I think both times he got to the semi-state and got turned away by Carmel. A couple yeah. of Carmel teams. So it, it, It's just kind of cool. And Barnheiser, again, uh, I'm certainly not nearly as close to him as you are, but, but I've, I've run into him from time to time. It's just a great guy. And I, it, whenever I see those guys, it, it just it just flashes back to the guys I, I dealt with, uh, Ray Talberts and Stu Robinson, Winston yep. Morgan, and all those guys, and David Held, uh, you know, the late Norm Held son. So just a great time and, uh, but good, good, good for Mark and, and good for his son. Yeah, no doubt about that. Right, and Brooks, Brooks and Braxton both uh, just in, incredible kids. No doubt about that. It's Mike Chapel. I I had Shane Steichen on yesterday. Uh, it is uh, quick and to the point. It's not like that he doesn't answer the questions, but there's there's not a lot of not a lot of words in the answering of the questions here. I just I mentioned that to him yesterday. I, that's just how he's wired. I don't think it has as much to do with he's probably hasn't done a lot of radio interviews in his life to this point i think it has less to do with that than it does he just gets to the point quickly and then moves on well and also he's just still settling in i i I would like to think that once we start getting him every you know monday wednesday friday and all that during a season or even more than that during training camp that, that we'll get more expansive answers right now he's just sort of Got like he's juggling like five things that are going on. I assume his family. I assume his family's back in Philly. I don't know. I mean, how do you how do you not only kind of settle into a new job, but then handle your wife and two young kids? And where are they going to stay there for a while? So he's got a lot of stuff going on. But that did strike me when when we we had the, the presser on Tuesday. Is he went on and on and on emotionally when he's thinking you know, 500 people, which is what you, you do in that situation. And then when it came to really, really what, what the media would like to know, it was really kind of short and sweet, which is fine. That's fine. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he is uh, as, as he sort of settles in and warms up. And, but it's, 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 he's got to be the guy. He's got to be the guy and, Whoever it is in April's got to be the guy, and if if those two decisions work, this franchise is in pretty good shape. So if it doesn't, yeah, uh, um, yeah, it, uh, you're right about that. It, Mike Chapel joins us. Um, I, I mentioned this because Chris Ballard, before introducing him a couple of days ago, um, says we see the same thing. And I tweeted that out, and it scared the crap out of everybody, right? Because you, you, you kind <laughs> of, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, it can't be about one uh, guy. You, you don't, yeah, you don't want anymore. It can't be about one guy being the quarterback, and it's uh, built on either side of the line here. Blah blah blah. Yep. All that crap that's led to really no results here. Um, but I'm hoping. We're hoping for a change in philosophy. Do you think we're going to get that with who they hired and the general manager who has been set in his ways but has little results to back that up? Yeah, I mean, go go, go back to 18 with Andrew Luck. and I, I'm not comparing the quarterback they get this year to Luck at all. But, boy, they threw the ball all over the place, and that, that was his best year, really. So, with Frank, so they can do it. But but he's going to tailor this around what 
the quarterback does. And, no, by the way, they've got Jonathan Taylor, who is only the best or the second best running back in the league. So there's not a coordinator or a head coach on the planet that's going to have Jonathan Taylor and have him run for 700 yards. It ain't going to happen, barring injury. So he'll use what what he has and maximize that. But they've got to get the offensive line fixed. I mean, we're not breaking ground here. They've got to get the O-line fixed. They've got to get another couple of receivers. I mean, I mean, not, you know, they claimed a guy off waivers today from New England. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about guys, you know, and they, they turned Michael Pittman into a possession guy last year, 9.3 or whatever it was, a catch. And that's not who he is. That's not who you need him to be. So get a few things fixed and, and get the, Get the the coach to be aggressive, which you know he said you, you throw to score and and you run to win. And in the past, at least at least last year, they couldn't do that. Now with Wednesday, we're pretty good throwing the ball, but you've got to have the right things in place. And and also, which we'll talk about more in the next month or two, is who's going to be that bridge veteran quarterback to help the the the, the, the rookie. You know, transition to the NFL. I, I can't imagine. I just can't imagine they're going to draft a guy and throw him out there and say play. Uh, now maybe they do, but I just don't think that's what you do. So you know, Gardner Minshew comes to, to mind, obviously, since he was there in Philly. But you've got to have somebody to help this young quarterback kind of get his feet wet. All right. Speaking of young quarterback. Jim Mercer kind of set the stage and then yeah, either trolled, doubled. I don't know what he was doing with the Chicago thing yesterday, tweet-wise. I'm assuming kind of trolling everybody out there, right? But uh, Rick Venturi was on the show yesterday, and, and he, like me, I have said you can't settle. And, you know, ultimately we don't really know if they settle, but Rick says if the best quarterback is Bryce Young in the draft and near the Colts, you make sure you go up, make a deal with Chicago, and get Bryce Young with number one overall. How much of that – hypothetically, do you think is in play here? It's got to be everything. Oh, you mean with it? they're going back and forth because Chris said, like, trade back? Right, right. That, you know. Well, no, I'm just talking right, about that, how, how much of a thought do you think it is, legitimately it is, for them to trade, to trade with Chicago and to move up? Oh, it, that's got to be top of the list. I just – the only, the only thing is, and we're going to get deluged with, with all the, the, the draft analysts about – which quarterbacks first, second, third, and fourth, and, and how they go and, and the strengths. You know, because now everybody will start cutting these quarterbacks apart. You build them up and then you tear them down. But the only thing that matters is, is how does Ballard and, and Steichen and, and their guys evaluate these guys. It could be totally different. Maybe they think Anthony Richardson is the best prospect. But, but if you have decided that this guy, whoever it is, is the guy, and there's a decent gap between him and two, three, and four. You you go to one to get him because you you, you just can't. If I'm Chris Ballard, I want my guy so that you know. I, I guess I'll go down swinging if it doesn't work. At least it's, it's my guy that didn't work. It's not like well we settled, we stayed at four, we got what was left, and darn it didn't work. No, go go and get your guy now. I kind of thought that maybe there's got to be a, a grunt level to what you won't give up, but probably not. I, I just think you go and do it. I think what have I seen of flip first rounds, give them a, give, give them a second round, and maybe next year's first round, you know, is that enough? I don't know. 
what everybody's got to keep in mind is what if Houston sees there's one guy that they really, really want, Bryce Young, Stroud, whomever. Well, they're at two, and maybe they trade with Chicago. And draft capital-wise, Texas, the Texans have, have more to give up than the Colts do. So, you know, maybe you're only going to get the second-best guy anyway because Houston may go to, to one. And if then if the Chicago's at two, you trade to two. You just have to, to, to make it as a strong an opportunity as possible uh, because this this has got to be right. You've got to get we, – we've talked forever. They've got to get off this carousel. You've got to have your young guy, you know, know that next year's probably going to be, you know, m- maybe a rough year just because of who you bring in as a veteran quarterback and getting this guy ready. But you've got to have – I think the fans – and we've talked about this. I think the fans, the fan base – will be okay with a tough year if you see you've got the guy you can build around. And remember, and again, I'm not comparing, but Peyton's first year was 3-13. and 13, You know, and then they took off. But it, it, it's to think they're going to come in and turn this thing around right, right away is not realistic. But, boy, you got to do whatever you can to get your guy, whoever that is, to sit there at four and take what, and take what's there it makes zero sense. And I say trade at Chicago at one, or if Houston gets there ahead of you, you trade with Chicago at two. And almost whatever you have to give up, you do it because you've got to get your guy. Yeah, Houston, by the way, in that situation, because of that win in the final week of the season here is pretty funny. you got to admit. Oh, I know. That is pretty funny. I know. And if we've always talked, this league does not reward. Nope bad it rewards really bad and what better way for a season to end than than losing the last game on you know the last few seconds to a team that everyone was considered was the worst team in the league and here you are you couldn't you couldn't beat them you were oh one and one against them last year for crying out loud but but at least that puts you in the best position i I, i've said and and i believe this if they don't fire frank and he sticks with Matt Ryan, interceptions and turnovers and all. They're, they could easily, I, I can easily argue eight, eight and one. I really can. Well, yes, I, I think to me, I think we may have talked about this last week. You beat, which easily you could have and you should have, Minnesota. You beat Dallas or a combination of that. Win at home against Philly, where you could have. And Jeff Saturday is your coach right now, and we're not even talking about Shane Steichen. Pittsburgh and Houston, yeah, uh, and it would have been the worst thing to happen to them, you know. Unless they, unless they, it, it, things play out and they win the division, then you're in the playoffs. Then, then it's okay. But to, to be eight, eight and one, and not make the playoffs, and needing a quarterback, you're screwed. You're just screwed. So, so it, it worked out. It, it was awful in the moment, but it really worked out in the long term, best for the franchise. Although, again, in the moment, you don't think that, but it, it really did. So you think Jeff Saturday's the coach here if they win one or two more games during that no. stretch? No. You don't think so? I just, I, just, I do. I I, I'm sorry, I do. I think he's the coach. I think that wow. needed I think that needed to justify it. I think two wins more would have justified. I think everything aligned for Jim not to be overruled, but to have a change who of heart. Who would have been your GM? 
Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, no. Well, we'd have been talking about we'd have been talking about a wide variety. So you don't think had they won a couple of more games there down the stretch that that Jim Irsay would have said, "Okay, Jeff, take the reins over." I mean, if it wasn't as bad as it was, I do. You don't? Yeah, but it, it, all, all the problems would have still been there. I mean, and, and you still would have had. These these thirteen coach prospects and the eight to second round, you'd still have all those really really good resumes. You'd still have Shane Steichen coming off the Super Bowl. I, I just don't know, even if they win three or four with Jeff, I, I I just don't know how you sit there. They beat the two teams in the Super Bowl. I know. I know I'm just. I, I know. I'm just. I'm just. I guess what I'm trying to say, Mike, is I I view strongly how strongly Jim Irsay felt about Jeff Saturday, and I I, I, I wonder that. how painful it was for him to inform him that he was not going to be the guy moving forward, and they're going I a different direction. Thought, and, and I'm guessing very painful. And, and I I think Jeff really really wanted it. I'm sure Jeff was really really upset, disappointed that he didn't get it, but. But you know, again, let's come back to to, to planet Earth, and <laughs> you just wait a minute. And, and again, that's, not, that's not where we live on this show, Mike. All I right, no, go ahead. And the problem is, every time this topic comes up, it sounds like I and, and a lot of us are just piling on Jeff, and, and I don't mean to. I'm just saying that when you when you line up all these these prospects and these resumes and these candidates, and to think that that if if Jeff could have gone. Four and four, I I, I don't know. I, maybe you're right. I just I just would have to think that 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 sanity would have ruled, and Chris would have said, "This is who we've got. It's a great group." And Jimmy, I just you know I what was he said? He uh, I can't think of what the phrase was he used when when he uh, when Jimmy Brightman as an in, in, interim coach said it was unparalleled or whatever whatever the phrase was. And that's what this would have been as well. To me, even more so, even more so, but we'll never know. But I just, I just have to believe knowing the way franchises are run. You just have to have more in your incoming head coach than, than the, the unwavering trust of your own. Right. You just, so I, I guess we'll, we'll never have, not, I guess right. we'll never have, we'll never know that. Uh, but it's a good topic for you. <laughs> I just well, that's, that's that's my belief. Until I I hear firmly, which likely will never happen. Otherwise, that is always going to be my belief that one or two games, which obviously they should have won, would have been the difference in the coaches that we see now and the direction we yeah, see. Yeah, uh, and again, I uh, maybe maybe. Uh, again, like I say, if they if they just go about their business and win two or three games that they should have, Houston, Pittsburgh, uh, make make one play against Minnesota, one play on offense, whatever, and and, and Philly, you know, yep, they, they they had that long eleven play drive and can converted like three third downs and a fourth down, make a play, but all the problems would still be here. There was some kind of a culture problem, and maybe Jeff could have turned that around. I don't know. I just would have had a hard time looking at Shane Steichen and Raheem Morris and all these guys and say, yeah, we're going to go with this guy. I, and again, I, as much as I can say it, I don't mean to pile on Jeff. I'm just looking at side-by-side resumes. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave us on planet Earth here. 
because uh, we were all over the you, map. You may never talk to us again. You may never talk to us again. <laughs> Leave us on planet Earth. I, I just, um, I just there's, there's a lot of this that um, I'm curious about. I guess, right? Well, and so. we know, and we we know what Jeff Saturday means to Jim Irsay. That's not fake. That was that, well. That's why he was here for crying out loud. That's why he's here. I'm coach. It's yeah. I just that's a place I don't want my mind to go because I'd hate to have thought about that being where this franchise would have gone. I just don't think it would have worked. He is firmly on the ground in Beach Grove right now <laughs> on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. It's Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59. By the way, some great articles that are up regarding the hiring of Shane Steichen and more you can find on uh, the website, CBS also, 4 and I Fox 59 website. With, I just got off the phone with uh, Philip Rivers. Do you really? Yeah. He called me back. Is he going to be the offensive coordinator? It's funny. I said, because he's, you know, he's the coach down there and where is it? Mr. Arkansas, wherever the hell it is, Alabama, whatever, yeah. whatever it is. I'll, but he said, I'll squelch that rumor right now. He said his, his, his son, I think it was Gunner, is going to be a uh, quarterback uh, as, a, as a, a freshman, and he's, he wants to be there to help him. So he said, yeah, I'll, I'll shoot that down right now. So, no. No offensive coordination. Well, I said quarterback, Coach. I oh, you said, oh, I said OC. Coordinator. Oh, yeah. But OC. He said, neither one. He, he said no. All right. Well, heck, I was going to lean on that for a couple of weeks. There goes that. Thanks. I know. Well, you, and, <laughs> well it's, it's not stopped you before, so just go ahead and <laughs> yeah. push it. Hey, we'll be uh, reading about what you have with uh, Philip Rivers. By the way, I had when I had Shane Steichen on yesterday, it, the most he talked – was regarding his relationship with Philip Rivers. So I know. Yeah. I know it. The most. So anyway. Always a pleasure, buddy. Next week we'll do it again. Sounds good. Be well. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, he was his coach while at UNLV. He was the guy that brought him into coaching as well. Asked him to go to Indiana State, where uh, the new head coach now, Shane Steichen of the Colts, declined. I think it ended up going on the staff in Cleveland. Mike Sanford, senior, who is coaching out in the Las Vegas area and Nevada on the high school level right now, as I mentioned, the former head coach at UNLV and my alma mater, Indiana State, joined joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Mike, welcome to the show. How excited were you when you received the news that a former player and a coach along with you is the new head coach with the Colts? Well, first of all, John, great to be on your show. And uh, uh, I was very excited. I, I've kind of been following Shane, watching him as he's as he's grown as a coach. And uh, it's been fun for me to watch. Uh and, you know, I saw what was happening with the Eagles, and I kept telling uh, people around me and my wife that uh, there's a really good chance that Shane's going to get a head coaching job at the NFL right. this year. And uh, and I was very happy to hear that it was uh, the Indianapolis Colts uh, for me, which is in a state where I've coached at three different places. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited for Shane, very proud of him, and he's very deserving and ready for this. Mike Sanford Seniors on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pileline. You probably heard this while you were on hold. Um, it was a promo we have where Shane Steichen goes over his four pillars. And he was on the show with me yesterday. And the first thing that 
came to me in talking to him for the first time was how direct and to the point and how quickly he gets there in all phases. What comes to mind with you as a player, as a coach, what he's evolved into now when you're thinking about Shane Steichen? Well, I think, you know, first of all, extremely hard worker, extremely bright, uh, you know, was a, as a player, was a guy that was a student of the game, loved the game. Um, as a coach, he was very detailed, wanted to, wanted to learn everything he possibly could. And, uh, you know, uh, I got to know him really well because he, when I was <laughs> – I took him with me. He was a graduate assistant with me at uh, Louisville uh, after, after UNLV. And uh, he lived in our basement. My wife and I <laughs> lived in our basement for I, I don't remember how long, a month or something like that, until he found a place to live. But he is just a, a great person and, uh, a, you know, very detailed and just like you said, very much to the point and uh, cuts to the chase and, and hits things uh, head on. Could you, I mean, did you see that develop in him? I mean, because you mentioned when he's living in your basement, I think that's a great spot for him because it seems like that he spends a lot of time in a basement, like studying film and trying to figure out the best ways to score points on the opposing defense. So that seems like that that is perfect. But did you see what what is now the evolution of him as a coach? Did you see that in the early stages? Did you think that was going to be his future? Well, I, you know, you never know that somebody's going to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts in the NFL. But at the same time, I knew he was going to be a great coach. And obviously, if I, you know, I brought him with me. Well, I actually, first I hired him as a GA at UNLV, then brought him with me, and then um, tried to hire him when I got the job at Indiana State. So I, you know, I, I saw great knowledge great ability to work with players and work with other coaches and a hunger to learn everything he possibly could learn about football. And all those things put together make him, uh, you know, a, a great person uh, for this job. I gave him a little bit of crap yesterday about the Indiana State thing back in 2012. I said, wait a minute, what, Cleveland over Terre Haute? Give me a break. Come on, what a decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would. I, I think he, that you should have given him some. Crap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I can give you all you need because I spent a great time in Terre Haute going to Indiana State, and I love my alma mater a great deal. And I thought that that seems like that that would have been a really comfortable beginning for you. But no, seriously, it um, it, it's it's just interesting because that's what struck me as a guy that is just he, he's just hardcore focused on you know trying to. To make his his offense much better than the opposing defense, and um, you know, very very quick and to the point, I guess, Mike. When it comes right down to it, with Shane Steigen. Yes, and I I think not only will he uh, be good at getting the offense where it is, where it needs to be, but he'll be a good leader of that program. He'll be really good with the players. Uh, he'll be he'll be really good with you know. I'm sure. Uh, the culture, you know, we're going to hire a really good defensive coordinator. He'll be good with the defense and special teams and also with personnel. There's a, there's a, you know, that's a big job. There's a lot of stuff, as we all know, that goes into that. And I, I think he's prepared himself well, been around some really good people and some really good organizations, which are going to help him uh, be, be great in that role. 
Mike Sanford Sr., he's a former Indiana State coach, also spent time, I think, back in the late 80s, 87, 88, with Purdue as the quarterback's coach, was at Notre Dame uh, in the late 90s as well. So, yeah, you have a great deal, um, I'm assuming, right, a great deal of knowledge for the state of Indiana as a coach of the past. Yeah, and I I love the state of Indiana. My wife and I uh, were there on three different occasions, three different uh, stints, and uh, you know we have nothing but great memories and 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 love Indianapolis. Like obviously at Indiana State, uh, that was a huge area of focus for our recruiting was uh, the city of Indianapolis. So so I you know I love the state of Indiana and love Indianapolis. Uh, Mike Sanford Sr. joins us. Before I let you go, high school-wise, uh, I'm assuming Faith Lutheran High School is in the, the Las Vegas area. Is that accurate? Yes, it is. We're uh, Faith Lutheran High School. We're a 5A team, which is the highest level of, of football in um, Las Vegas. We're on the Summerlin area for people that know much about Las Vegas. There's kind of on the northwest side at Summerlin. On the south side is Henderson. Uh, we're in Summerlin, um, and uh, this is kind of a, a different time in my life. I love coaching and uh, what, had too much energy to retire, uh, but what didn't want to – my wife and I moved 19 times, so I wanted to have a little bit of stability. <laughs> and uh, so I'm I'm really enjoying this experience and loving it and, uh, and love just the interaction with the players combined with – still being involved in the X's and O's. Yeah, it, it, Mike Sanford Sr. joins us. Oftentimes it's described as, you know, you get a thirst to, to coach. Um, is is this quenching that thirst right now? Because, I mean, it does. The way you sound, it seems like this opportunity came along for you and your wife at a great time. Am I wrong? Very much so. And we, you know, like, it's funny because like Indiana, we're very familiar with uh, Las Vegas because I was the head coach, as you mentioned yeah. earlier, at UNLV from oh, 2005 to 2009. And so we, you know, it's it, it's kind of like going back and seeing a bunch of people that we were with. I've hired a bunch of my former players, our coaching, uh, our coaches on our staff. And it's, it's a really... Uh, it's a really comfortable but but challenging uh, uh, environment for me. Did, did Shane played for you at UNLV? Correct. He did. He how, did. How was he as a quarterback? He was really good. He was, uh, as you can tell, he, he hasn't changed much. He was tall and skinny, <laughs> <laughs> and he's still tall and skinny. Yeah. Um, and but it's interesting for a guy that's that tall. Uh, he was very athletic. He w- he could run. He could scramble. Uh, he could you know extend plays. Uh, you know, and, and he was he he was a, a, a good decision maker, and uh, was a really good leader on our team. Yeah, yeah, we got into it just a little bit. I think El Dorado Hills, California, which is north of Sacramento, was his yep. high school, and yeah, he he was teammates with Austin Collie, and Austin Collie played here at wide receiver for uh, a handful of years as well. And we talked a little bit about that relationship with with Austin Collie. In fact, I think Austin Collie, when the Colts went to the Super Bowl and lost uh, in Miami to New Orleans, uh, he had told me that uh, Austin Collie actually got him a ticket to go to that Super Bowl. So kind of interesting the way yeah, things have a way to turn Austin around like Colley. that. It's interesting because Austin Collie, um, we part of our building the program at UNLV was to beat 
BYU. Yeah. We were in the same league with BYU and Utah and, and TCU, as a matter of fact, in those days. And uh, we had a game at BYU. Uh, Austin Colley had about, I'm going to say, 15 catches for whatever, a lot of yards. And uh, they barely beat us. And it was because Austin Colley, they beat us like, I, I think it was like 45 42 or 48 45, something like that. It was a very close game. But Austin Colley was a difference maker in that game. You know, it occurs to me, Mike, before I let you go, when you took over at UNLV, I, I believe you took over for John Robinson, right? Who's just absolutely – I did. I did. Who's, who's legendary. I, I, I got to know, you're taking over for a legend like that, a legend in football, you know, on every level, collegiately, NFL level. What was that like? It was awesome. Uh, it, it's interesting. I played for John. I played for at SC. I played quarterback. I played for John McKay and then John Robinson. And then I was a graduate assistant for John Robinson. So it was kind of interesting that I followed him. He retired, and uh, I had the opportunity to follow him at, at UNLV, which which was an awesome, uh, you know, transition. I guess is the best way of saying it for me. It is amazing thinking about your career as a player and a coach. Um, I, I obviously you don't set out knowing what's going to happen, but it has. If you look back on this, have time to reflect where you are now. Obviously, coaching high school wise outside of Vegas, and think of where you've been and and the lives that you've touched and what you've been a part of, because it is an amazing resume, Mike. It truly is. Well, thank you for saying that, and I've I've just had a blast uh, in the profession, and I. I, I, I love the game and I love the relationships and some of the relationships that I've built up over the years, like, like with Shane, you know, are, uh, are things that I treasure and I will continue to treasure uh, for the rest of my life. And no doubt about that. It's Mike Sanford senior uh, coaching out of the Las Vegas area on the high school level. And uh, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on and discuss your relationship in the past with Shane Steichen and your thoughts on that. I, I tell you what, if I had more time, we would go deeper into your career as well, because, you know, as a player and as a coach, there's a lot of stuff there. I really enjoyed this conversation, Mike. Thanks for coming on. Well, I enjoyed it too. And, uh, and as a as a former Sycamore, I wanted to just say, "Go Sycamores!" You got, you got. I tell you, another guy. Every time I have him on, because he does radio in Tennessee for the Titans. When I have Dave McGinnis on, always a Sycamore is what he ends the conversation with every oh, time. Yeah, there you go. So, there it is. So, and he, yeah. uh, yep, it's always always a Sycamore. Hey, Mike, thank you for the time. The best of luck, and uh, again, continue doing what you're doing, what you love to do. Thank you, and uh, great being on your show.